Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to try to not make this episode as long as the last one. I know it was lengthy. My apologies on that if, uh, if it got tiresome or disinterested in you, but you know, that, that kill box manifesto, so to speak, or that certain plan, and it's basically just a giant history lesson, is remarkably valuable. And again, I, I highly encourage anybody to go and listen to Catherine Watt. I included a link to the video on my Gab page. She breaks it down in about 14 minutes. And I'll tell you what, I wanted to make a couple of corrections from what I was reading there, because there were a number of things that she explained, of course, way better than me. Because, uh, of course, she was the one who wrote it all up. But I believe that I said something like, emergency use authorization didn't come into play until 2004, or that's when it was created. It turns out it was around 1997-1998. So that's one correction I wanted to make. I, I like how she describes the Department of Defense as the Department of War or the Department of Biowarfare, however she specifically said it, it's 100% accurate. The thing I would invite people to keep in mind is, is who used to work for the Department of Defense? Robert Malone. So I'm just going to leave that there. You can make your own decisions. It's evident to me anyway that Robert Malone is trying to get on the right side of things by pushing him, you know, himself out into the forefront to try to make it look like he wasn't in some lab playing with poisons this entire time. When, of course, that's what was going on. And I, I think that that's really kind of a bigger picture here is that if we get people out of labs playing with poison, calling them viruses falsely, uh, we as humanity would be in a better position, I think. Because again, working for the Department of Defense, it's my understanding that he claims, of course, that he was creating a number of different things like messenger RNA and whatever else to help fight cancers and then help fight other biological warfare. Well, joke's on him, and joke's been on everybody, unfortunately. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that again. I think that that kill box plan is, of course, firmly in place. It's beyond evident that it's 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 beyond plausible. To be honest, it is it is reality without a doubt. And those of us, again, who can think about these kinds of things can clear, uh, clearly see that, I think. But I'm sure there are individuals that would say, whatever, our government would never hurt us. Our government loves us, and we need to love government and support it at every uh, possible turn that we can. Well, that's not going to happen. And that's ridiculous because our government has been responsible for killing us, well, for a very long time. So there's that. Okay, um, the Damar Hamlin video very quickly. You know, I've seen a lot of deep fakes over the years, in particular within the last couple of years, certainly last two, three years. I've seen some very good ones and I've seen some very bad ones. I don't know if that's a deep fake or not. I just wanted to get out there and say it. I'm not sure. Again, there would be really no way for me to be 100% certain about it one way or another. So I just wanted to sort of get on the record as having said that. It could be him. He could be fine. He could be walking around after, again, having his heart stopped twice, allegedly. And, uh, yeah. Other than that, I think, I think really a lot of people are still waiting to see him around other people. 
whether again it be his own teammates or uh, out in public, where a deep fake would be undeniable or deniable, I should say that you know th- th- there would be no situation where a deep fake could actually be taking place. So yeah, I, you know I don't know what else to add on that. Um, if he's alive, great. If he's not, the NFL is directly engaging in conspiracy to uh, to commit fraud. And of course, the amount of money that's been filtering in for him and other people associated with him has been astronomical. So I think it's beyond strange. But anyway, that's my two cents on that. There's a lot of theories bouncing around too, of course, regarding the Bengals-Chiefs game. I thought that was interesting. I just wanted to mention this very quickly. I watched the game, but as I said in previous posts, you have to watch the game without emotion, and you have to watch it for the hinky behavior that occurs throughout. If you watch the last five minutes of that game, it's beyond evident that uh, there were a lot of weird calls all happening at the end when the game was on the line. So a lot of the theories that were bouncing around, of course, were things like, you know, they they, they wanted to make sure that the Chiefs got into the Super Bowl instead of the Bengals, because if the Bengals were in, then you're still perpetuating the DeMar Hamlin story, and they wanted to bury that as quickly as possible. There's that angle. You know, there were other angles associated with players who were on the team and coaching staffs and, and whatever else. Again, I'm just theorizing about all of it and, and just sharing some other thoughts and theories that existed about that game, but it was strange. And again, as I've read in uh, Dan Moldia's book, Interference, you know, that right there is a perfect example of how you can have a game fixed and you can fix a game. Is you do it toward the end of a game when a game is close, things sway in one direction as opposed to another. Uh, you know, uh, officiating interference, so to speak. Officials start to get more involved at the end of a particular, you know, at the end of a close game, whereas at the beginning of the game, when of course the score is zero to zero, they're less likely to get involved. You know, that that's just one of many ways. But there's an anonymous post here from Great Awakening dot when I wanted to I wanted to read and then I want to get into some other issues too here, of course. There's plenty of education things to bring up, a few Pfizer uh, jab things as well. This was interesting though, because again, it, it ties everything together perfectly. It was titled, Kinda Lost It on My Normie Coworkers. They said the following, quote, my, no- my Normie Coworkers are talking about how obvious it was the Bengals' chief game was rigged last night and were pissed about it. They were talking about how the NFL wanted to, wanted the Kelsey brothers to play each other, Andy Reid playing against his former team, etc. I asked how come they, all, they aren't all pissed about Epstein's clientele list not being released. Why aren't they pissed about inflation? Why aren't they pissed about the COVID scam? Why aren't they pissed about anything that actually matters? They just stared at me and said nothing. Then I said, well, this is why this country is going down the shitter and Seattle is now a cesspool. None of you give a fuck about anything important. Then I went on my break, tired of normies, unquote. It's perfect. It's 100% perfect. If people put the energy, the emotion, and the anger and anything else that they're putting into all these games, if they put that into our actual government and what they're doing to people, 
um, we would rip government limb from limb and they would cease to exist and we would create our own under what the founding fathers had imagined. We would take to the streets guns in guns in arms and uh and we would take things back but more people are distracted from a game and it being fixed or not fixed and again that just that helps no one it it just doesn't help anybody so with that aside let me dive into some education related things here first of all just a couple of separate stories from the top that I've covered in the past, but I, I just want to briefly revisit before I get into a few articles here on, on some other current issues. If anyone needs more proof that Uvalde did not happen, okay, I'm going to give you yet another exhibit. The elementary school in Newport, Virginia, where the six-year-old black student again, elementary school, shot their white female teacher in the chest with a gun. There were numerous individuals in the building who knew that the child allegedly had a gun. The kid was even searched. The backpack was searched, but they didn't search the kid's pockets because they said, well, his pockets are small. Something along those lines, some strange excuse like that. Point being, the administrator who neglected the situation, I don't know if they are the school principal or an assistant administrator or another kind of administrator, I'm not sure, but either way, they lost their job. They've been fired. Not so in Uvalde, because there you allegedly have, what was it, at least 13 kids dead, at least two teachers dead, a shooter dead. And the principal, who is a female, keeps their job after being uh, off duty for three days, after being removed from duty for three days and then being, being brought back. No discipline whatsoever. Do you see the contrast? It's more proof, again, that Uvalde didn't happen. No one died. The entire thing was fake. The Virginia response to a singular six-year-old shooter and individuals in the building, at least one, losing their job because they ignored the situation and immediately found out who ignored the situation and didn't engage in any real policy. Again, if that person loses their job and a school principal who leaves doors wide open and unlocked in a school building where at least 13 children didn't really die, but that's what the media told people. That person keeps their job? No, that's not the way that it works. I understand that there is and will always be inconsistency and discretion within the education field. That's always been the case. It's unfortunate, but that's the way that it is. This just proves it didn't happen. One thing happened and the other thing did not. It's that simple. So I just wanted to bring that up as if you needed another example that Uvalde didn't occur. Uh, the next thing, the Crumblies. This is apparently still locked up in appeals court. This is why the Crumbly parent case in Michigan has not gone forward yet. Same thing with Ethan Crumbly and his murder trial has not gone on because, again, 
There are appeals going on. The one with a parent is rather obvious. Parents, rather, is is rather obvious because it has to do with them not being charged ultimately with with whatever it was, manslaughter or involuntary manslaughter. Again, they didn't pull the trigger. It wasn't their fault. Uh, as far as Ethan Crumbly's trial is concerned, I think they're trying to get some kind of a timeline on a sentencing worked out within the appeals process also. In any case, I just wanted to provide people an update that both of those cases aren't going forward in a trial as of yet. It's just locked up in the appeals process, and that's the way that that's going down. So there you go. Just wanted to make mention of that. Okay. Uh, Here's the next thing. This is again from the Gateway Pundit. NCAA considers lawsuit over Florida ban of African-American studies class that contains CRT and section on queer theory. I, of course, read through those major concerns in the last episode. Pretty obvious as to why the course shouldn't exist. It's all based on lies. That should be enough. But don't worry, the NAACP is here to the rescue to legally stand up for this kind of material and this kind of teaching and blah, blah, blah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Again, there's no better definition than the useful idiots, I, I think. They're standing up for things that aren't even real. And, and the mind is just a prison with invisible walls, and they have no idea that they are existing within those walls. They're going to be used until the end of time. It's beyond embarrassing. And uh, yeah. It's just going to be the sweet release of death that is going to be the only thing that wakes these people up. They're not going to have any idea in this life the mistakes that they're making based on things that are not real. That's just, that, that's not going to get better. Yes, people are waking up. That's a good thing, but good God. It's just awful. And of course, they're in it for the money. We know that. They're going to try to siphon as much money as they can as an organization away from people who support the NAACP, and then what are they going to do? They'll probably end up getting nowhere. And even so, with all of that aside, this material is finding its way into American K-12 classrooms and college classrooms anyway. Again, the state of Florida and their Department of Education can do away with an AP course like this, which is, again, a good thing. But the material is still going to find its way into classrooms. That's, that's never going to change. They'll rename it. They'll sneak it in. They'll work it into another subject. Because, again, that's always their defense. As classroom teachers, if they're ever questioned, well, why, why did you bring this up? As you heard me say in past episodes, they'll blame a student. They'll say, well, a student brought it up. It wasn't me. They'll use that as an example or as an excuse, and then they'll also say, well, I was talking about this particular subject, and then a student brought it up, and then I decided to elaborate a little more, and then whatever. But it directly ties to this subject, too, and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's the way that it'll work. These individuals, again, as radical as they are, they can talk their way in and out of just about anything. And they can, ra- I mean, again, if you can rationalize being a man when you're not a man, they can rationalize curriculum as to, as to being relevant or associated with the subject they teach when, in fact, it's not. So, yeah. Just more degeneracy, that's all. It just continues. Good news here, though. This is also from the Gateway Pundit, and it's titled, When Utah Bans Puberty Blockers. 
hormones and surgical sex change procedures for minors. So, yay. Again, the simple fact that I have to say that and the simple fact that that has to be a headline or brought up in the first place is disgusting. But that right there should tell everybody how far we have fallen as a society. Okay. I also have this now. That's basically it for the, uh, for the education-related subjects thus far. I do want to mention this now. There's some jab-related things I want to play here and get to, and then a couple other things I want to mention here toward the end. Uh, first of all, let me, let me, I guess, mention this, and, and this will lead into the jab-related things. America's frontline doctors, as you heard me say in previous episodes, is engaging in litigation with Joey Gilbert and, and other members of the, uh, of the board. Again, there are four members of the board on AFLD, Simone Gold being one, and then the other three are dudes who don't like Simone Gold. Um, you've heard me say again, Simone Gold served her purpose. I'm not discrediting that. She served her purpose. There's, there's no doubt. Her expiration date has passed now. Now she's out there talking about totalitarianism from a medical standpoint, and if it's somehow a new thing. This, of course, is not a new thing. And she makes terrible comparisons, of course, that are historically inaccurate. And, and, you know, this is one of the things that happens while she's, of course, wearing the Star of Remphan around her neck. She probably thinks it's the Star of David, whatever. There's no such thing. Either way, the issue now with AFLDS is that even though she's allegedly suing Stu Peters, Stu Peters just the other day had a guy named Kevin Jenkins on his show who apparently, again, is, is, I don't know his association with all of this, but he came on his show and described how the judge in the most recent case that I was mentioning that Simone Gold was involved in apparently ruled in the favor of the board members when it came to removing Simone Gold. It's pretty straightforward, I think, that, uh, you know, when you sit on a board of, of individuals of a nonprofit, so to speak, that you are you know, if you're outnumbered and the, and the vast majority of the board members want you gone, then they get to vote you out. Uh, apparently, that's the case. Here, here's what I'll say just sort of in summary before I play this clip. There's a lot of mudslinging in lawsuits like this. A lot of people taking sides and exposing different sides and burying their feet in the ground and saying, well, I'm not moving. This is where I stand on issues. This is what's happening. You know, this is, this is you know, these are my core beliefs. Uh, in response to this particular video, almost immediately, AFLD's website came out with this giant statement where, of course, they call Stu Peters a sensationalist. They, they bring up Dr. Kevin Jenkins as being irrelevant and his opinion doesn't matter on the issue. And then, of course, they spin it to make it sound like whatever court ruling took place was actually in Simone Gold's favor, not the other way around. Again, in things like this, you don't really know who to believe, but you've, you've heard my take on Simone Gold before, my brief interaction with her in the past. I know it's probably getting tiresome me continuously bringing this up. I just find this interesting that, that this is continuing to take place and that it's, I mean, if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter and it's all terrible, but it's really just bad people fighting over money. I mean, that's really what it is. Again, you've heard me say that their website is irrelevant now, that, that she is a speaker is irrelevant. You know, her, her Gab account is embarrassing. She's not bringing up anything 
that we don't already know. She's repeating herself constantly. And I mean, I picked up on that very early on back in 2020 and 2021 when she was giving these speeching, you know, speech engagement engagements rather, and she's just saying the same thing over and over and over again. So she has nothing new to offer. You know, just just go away. Go back to being a, a medical doctor. You know, start your own practice. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you would make more than enough money doing that, but who knows? Apparently, again, still trying to get in the uh, telemedicine game. Okay, just go do that then. You know, w- walk away from this particular organization if it's causing you so much trouble, or again, continue to do what you're doing and, and, and waste everyone's money who's donating you, uh, donating to you rather, uh, you know, in dealing with these lawsuits and, and hiring lawyers. Because really, when, when you donate to Simone Gold now, that's where the money's going. Again, she's sitting on 17 plus million dollars based on her own words. So I don't know. Either way, here is a Kevin Jenkins talking about this particular incident and everything that's going on legally, apparently, and give this a listen. We have a very short window of time, but some very important breaking news to report. Dr. Simone Gold has been fired from America's frontline doctors. Earlier today, an Arizona judge issued a ruling saying the disgraced doctor is no longer on the board and that the legitimate board can terminate her employment. Dr. Kevin Jenkins chaired the Oversight Committee and is working hard to restore faith in that group. He joins us now for details on that ruling. Dr. Jenkins, thank you so much for coming. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, Stu. I would love to be a doctor, but I'm not a doctor. I am a leader of a number of institutions in the medical freedom movement. But I got to tell you, Stu, this is a great moment for every um, every person in America. We had our BLM movement and the medical freedom movement, and it's been resolved. Over the last couple of weeks, people were hearing all kinds of mixed messages that, you know, Simone Goh's case against America's frontline doctors was dismissed. And that was not true. As of last week, the judge just came back and said Simone Goh is not on the board of directors and has no authority over the America's frontline doctors, which is great news for every funder, great news for every mama bear, great news for everyone in this country, because it's important that people know we take our fight seriously and we will hold anybody and everybody responsible if they come to the table to disturb anything that we need to do as regards to protecting body sovereignty. So today is a great day. I think the board has his work cut out for them, but I have to say Joey Gilbert was vindicated today. He was vindicated because all of the lies that were thrown um, at him, the board was vindicated today. But we have a job still pending. The committee, the oversight committee that I'm a chair of, we're working on making sure this report gets out by the middle of February. And it's going to be a report that's talking about what happened and how do we move forward. Because the whole focus today is how do we move forward? How do we take America's frontline doctors back to his true mission? And that's protecting life on the planet, protecting our health on the planet, making sure that we have the right doctors giving us the right information that will protect our body sovereignty and giving us the informed consent that we need to make critical decisions about our lives. So America today, all of us should be happy that the judge found it in his heart to seek the truth as opposed to seeking a lie. And Simone Gold needs to stand down and Simone Gold needs to understand that what we're fighting is bigger than her and bigger than me. It's about doing God's work and it's about protecting every family and every child in this country. And moving on to accountability for those people who have grifted off of the backs of hardworking people who saw, hey, I just want to help people. And uh, seemingly now the person responsible for that purse, in in essence, funded their own rich, lavish lifestyles and that of their 20-some-odd-years junior underwear model boyfriend flying around the country, big mansions, $3.6 million, thereabouts, cars, trips, 
Lululemon, whatever it was that she was buying. Accountability for her would be great. Uh, I think there should be a criminal investigation into this as well. Uh, Certainly that broke the trust of many Americans. And so that we can focus on pursuing the real criminals here who have unleashed these bioweapons on humanity and then hold them to account. Kevin Jenkins, sorry about the doctor mix-up. It's on the screen there too. We appreciate you being here. Uh, Thank Thank you you so much for your fight. Absolutely. Bye-bye. You have a great day. I think a point here that needs to be made too is they they can't both be right. I mean, someone is wrong. Someone's wrong in this. Someone's misinterpreting it, whatever it may be. We know that both sides are trying to protect each other regardless of what's going on. And unfortunately, again, things like this only pop up and only occur when money is involved. Because this particular thing is about money. You know, there are a lot of good people who are trying to do the right thing and doing the right thing, and they're not doing it for money. Well, those are the people not getting sued. Those are the people who are not suing other people. The people who aren't in it for money have no lawsuits associated with them. They're just doing the right thing over and over and over again. And and those are really the people where money is not at the forefront of what's going on. So. Again, as much as Simone Gold likes to toot her own horn and say, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a lawyer and a doctor, as much as she likes to do that, you'd think that she would know that the more money that she brought in and the more people she surrounded herself with, the worse things could get for her. You'd think that. See, I operate on my own here. This is just me. I don't have producers. I don't have other researchers looking things up. I don't have someone you know, donating copious amounts of money to me. I don't have an accountant. None of that's happening. I'm just a guy. But the more people you get around yourself, the more likely you are to have things like this happen to you. Again, lots of good people providing lots of good information. None of them are getting sued. And, and, and none of them, of course, are defending, having to defend themselves with lawsuits. So, I don't know. It's a red flag. The lawsuit game is a red flag in, in moments like this and in times like this because, again, it exposes all kinds of people. I, I don't know who's guilty of what, when, how, and why. I'm not, I'm not directly involved. I'm simply saying it smells. And this is going to have to reach some logical conclusion in the end, but Simone Gold doesn't seem like one of those individuals where a fault actually lies on her 100% that she's going to admit any wrongdoing. But that's just my take. That's my opinion. Allegedly, allegedly. Okay. With that said, let me move on to this now. I also brought up in the last episode, of course, the Project Veritas thing and how toward the end when I was reading that Killbox presentation that what we're watching theoretically could be an absolute shakedown and a sting operation of YouTube. Because YouTube is a platform, of course. Is doing what? I mean, they're censoring individuals potentially engaging in crime, which makes them an accessory to such crimes, does it not? Again, not a lawyer, not a detective, but it certainly seems like that would be the case. Well, sure enough, the very next day, someone from apparently within YouTube leaked a document to Project Veritas, and it's titled C.8 Urgent Guidance. Project Veritas video on Pfizer vaccine, 27 of January, 2023. 
And it's basically their policy that they've created regarding this Veritas Pfizer video and how to handle it. So I'm just going to read the part that is the screenshot that even Project Veritas provided. It says the following. It says what? A clip uploaded by Project Veritas featuring a Pfizer official is rapidly spreading on the platform. The video when uploaded in its entirety contains a timestamp that violates the COVID-19 vaccine misinformation policy. And that, of course, is underlined and hyperlinked, so they have their own misinformation policy. That's funny. It says, for making a categorical claim that COVID-19 vaccines are, are ineffective and should therefore be removed unless it contains sufficient EDSA-CRC, whatever the hell that means. It then says below it, it says, when reviewing any re-uploads of this content, be sure to, number one, confirm that the following volative timestamp is present. And then there's a bullet point below that, and it says, our undercover journalist asked Walker about Pfizer is handling the fact that their COVID vaccine are ineffective against virus variants. What he said is disturbing. Listen to this, quote unquote. So they don't like that entire quotation, apparently. Well, too bad for them. Number two, it says, check the four corners and metadata for EDSA that clearly contradict, refutes, or countervails the volative timestamp without additional promotion, generalization, aggregation, repetition, affirmation. And then there's a bullet point below that that says, pay special attention to the title, the video description for CRC. And it says, number three, action, the content. Bullet point below that is a strike. If no sufficient CRC is present in the four corners, title of description, example, video includes the volative timestamp noted above and no EDSA-CRC. And then there's another bullet point where it says approve. Uh, the video has other segments of the Project Veritas clip, but does not include the volative timestamp listed above. Any content that includes the volative timestamp listed above and includes EDSA-CRC in the Four Corners title or description. And it says why. It is important that we remove volative re-uploads of this content as it spreads harmful misinformation about approved vaccines against COVID-19. And then it says who. Uh, all agents working medical misinfo cues, and then rapid response. And then it says, when? Effective immediately as of the 27th of January, 2023. Uh, again, they're clearly engaging in a conspiracy to commit fraud, or at the very least, cover up criminal activity, potentially. I continue to be blown away at the number of individuals that actually believe that these shots aren't killing people and that the lie is being ridden out as hard as it possibly can. I mean, they're riding this, this horse of a lie to death as much as they possibly can. Uh, and even when the horse is dead and they're still in the saddle, they're still going to be whipping it, swearing to God that the stance that they took 
was ethical and the way that it had to be. Ladies and gentlemen, there has to be a sting operation taking place here. There has to be. There's no way that YouTube can continue to exist as a platform, or at the very least, with the people running it the way that they're running it when they're clearly engaging in a cover-up of this magnitude. It's, it's, it's absolutely nuts. They are, I mean, they are the big brother controlling the narrative as much as they possibly can, but it's slipping right through their fingers. And this document proves that they, are again, are engaging in that cover-up. It's not unusual. I mean, it's not an unusual document. They do this with, you know, individuals that have, I'm sure, very few followers who say the truthful things about very serious issues all of the time. But it's just more proof that this is their platform. They're a criminal organization, allegedly, and it certainly seems like that's the kind of behavior they're engaging in. And this, again, is, you know, this is a major part of the, I I hate the word narrative, but I, I keep saying it. This is part of that narrative or story shift that continues to take place where they're trying to control as much information as humanly possible, and they have no problem speaking to people as if they have no idea that there are people listening to them or watching them or paying attention to what they do and say, and that these individuals know better, that we might actually know better, that YouTube is not the be-all, end-all on the truth. Same thing, of course, with the mainstream media. And again, that leads me to this particular audio that I have got to play. This is an MSNBC news anchor. I'm going to let her do the talking. And I'm going to let her tell you what has gone on with her. I'm going to come in at the end of this and mention a number of things about this clip. This clip, however, is golden because it really is a case study in cognitive dissonance. It is a case study in a serious mental illness. This is an individual who is jab injured. It's about nine minutes long. Nine minutes and two seconds. I'm going to play it straight through. You cannot make up this level of cognitive dissonance. This is as real as it gets. This is the kind of clip, again, that needs to be saved, shared, liked, moved around, archived online and offline in order to keep it. Because one of the things I think that's going to continue to happen here, in particular in America, We've seen it happen in other countries. American media has been very careful about this. I'm even shocked that they allowed this individual to say this. But they allow the host to tell their entire story as to how they now have pericarditis and myocarditis. The explanation they provide, of course, is ridiculous as to why that's the case. I'm just shocked that these news outlets are letting their own hosts and contributors say these things, which again begs the question, are there white hats behind the scenes saying, oh yes, you need to share this. Oh yes, you need to tell people what happened to you. Oh yes, go right ahead. And then we get to watch the cognitive dissonance and we get to watch the lying take place. I think that this is something that's going to go in one of two directions in the future. We're going to continue to hear audio clips like this from news anchors, or we're going to stop hearing them talk about this. It's going to have to be one or the other. 
because there is no middle ground. You can't casually bring up, oh, I was just sick and now I have permanent heart damage and I'll be dead in five years. I mean, you can't, you can't just casually bring that up. They've got to go in one of two directions. Keep bringing it up and actually telling people that they are now injured, although, again, they're not saying it's jab-related, and why would they? Or they just don't bring it up. In any case, here's that audio clip. Give this a listen. I have been off the air for a little while. Well, I have been dealing with a little bit of a health scare. On December 20th, I began to feel chest pains and they waxed and waned over a period of 10 days. I wasn't quite sure uh, what to make of it, but as they continued to get worse, I started to think something was actually wrong. Um, it was December 30th when I finally went to an urgent care and was told I had reflux. I didn't really buy it, but I was relieved it wasn't my heart. Uh, my body, though, was pretty certain uh, not to believe uh, the reflux. The next day, on December 30th, I woke up with severe pains, both in my chest and in my left shoulder, and it was like a tightening in my chest when I took deep breaths. That got worse when I was laying flat. I knew enough at that moment to understand that it could mean, could is the key word here, that I was having a heart attack, especially because it was happening in the left part of my shoulder. I want to remind you, I run seven miles three to four times a week, or I did. Um, I do yoga. I don't eat meat. I don't smoke. I drink occasionally. Not right now, though, because my doctor tells me I can't. Aside from probably not getting enough sleep and working too much, I'm a pretty healthy person. But on that day, I was anything but. My husband drove me to the emergency room, and from there, the nightmare that has been my January began. I was diagnosed with pericarditis, inflammation of the lining of my heart, brought on by a virus, a literal common cold. I also had fluid around my heart that had to be drained or else it could hinder the beating of my heart. I was hospitalized for four nights and transferred from a local hospital to NYU Langone here in New York City. On January 4th, I was finally discharged after doctors drained the fluid around my heart and I bounced out of the hospital. I couldn't get out of there fast enough with the hopes I was on the mend. But that was not the end. Three days later, I was readmitted when I felt a flutter in my heart, like a butterfly. It was inside my chest. They determined I had developed myocarditis, inflammation of the actual heart now, the heart muscle. I remember being shepherded through the emergency room and wondering, is this it? It wasn't, thank God. Instead, I spent five more days in the hospital where they ran a battery of tests, adjusted my meds, and made sure nothing else was fueling what was happening. And in fact, in the end, it was still just the cold that was doing all of this, that had caused all of this inflammation in and around my heart. Since then, this thing has continued to wax and wane. And the hope is I'm on the mend and on the other side now, but will be on medication for some time to come. It's not the most fun, but alas, I am getting older. And I need to admit that one man who has helped me through all of it and shepherded me through my ups and downs and my emotions and my families as well is my cardiologist, Dr. Greg Katz. And he joins me now um, because supposedly uh, this happens and it seems to be happening a lot these days. Yeah. It's great to see you outside the hospital, by so, the way. So nice to not have an EKG in front of me to be nervous about how it's going to exactly. look. Exactly. And me not crying in front of you. <laughs> What happened? How does everybody ask me, how does a cold go to your heart? 
Yeah. So it's not so much the cold itself that's going to your heart. It's the way your body's responding to the cold. And your immune system, for most of us, just takes a couple of days to clear the virus. And we have the standard runny nose, sore throat, that kind of stuff. And it's self-limited and it goes away. But for a small proportion of people, they get an overactive immune response and they can have inflammation in lots of different areas. And the inflammation of the sac around the heart, pericarditis, like you first were dealing with, is an unfortunate thing that we see sometimes. We've been seeing it a little bit more this year than, uh, than other years, but it's, it's not unheard of. It's rare, but it's, it's not the rarest. Um, are there some people that are more likely to develop a situation like this than others? I wish I knew the answer to that. Yeah. Like, on some, but you on know some the level, answer to so much. I know the answer to a lot, but not this <laughs> one. Um, and anybody tells you that's either misleading them or misleading themselves. Uh, but truthfully, it's, there, there's some conditions like lupus or like other autoimmune conditions where people can get this related to that disease. Yeah. But the overactive immune response to a virus is very unpredictable. And it happens to you like it happens to anybody. Yeah. I mean, the lucky thing was while I was in the hospital and I was so lucky to have Dr. Katz on board with me because he literally scanned every part of my body. So while I was dealing with this inflammation, we also tried to figure out if anything else was going on and thank God nothing else was um, going on. But you talk about how you've seen more of this kind of anecdotally. I know there's not a lot of scientific data to back that up, but especially kind of post-COVID, right? Post-lockdown. We're in a different era of diseases and how our bodies are responding, right? Yeah. I mean, nobody knows exactly why this is and whether this is a standard blip or whether my anecdotal experience is a little bit skewed, but it could be the season is a little bit more virus heavy than usual. Maybe our immune systems are a little bit different than they were because we've been masking and social distancing for a couple of years. I certainly don't know. And I don't think that anybody really knows, but um, it's definitely the kind of thing that you want to be aware of what the symptoms are so that you can seek medical medical attention if you really need it. So let's talk about that because I mean, I dealt with this thing for 10 days up until I actually went and sought out medical care who then told me it was reflux. (laughs) Won't name names who said that. Um, what are the symptoms? What should people look out for, right? Because you could get, you know, bronchitis, you could have some pain in your chest and it could really just be something that's in and out. And then there are things that are more serious, like what I had. So what are symptoms that you should be looking out for in a situation like this? So the classic symptoms of pericarditis are chest pain that's worse when you're lying down and better when you're sitting up. It can be worse when you're taking a deep breath in. Uh, But the thing that you've been telling me about is this feeling like something is off with my body and fevers, chills, kind of like non-specific symptoms. The feeling that something is wrong is the kind of time when you should be thinking, I should get this checked out. And listening to your body and paying attention to what it's telling you is really, really important because we've all had a cold Mm -hmm. and we've all recovered from it. And sometimes if that recovery is a little bit different, it's not a bad idea to just make sure that you're being checked out. Are are there ways... And you probably don't necessarily have a straight linear answer to this, that people can protect protect themselves from developing a situation like this? I wish that Or is were. it completely un- kind of not avoidable? It, it seems to be what, med- what doctors call idiopathic, which means nobody has any idea. Yeah. Um, if there was a way of preventing it, we would be shouting it from the rooftops, but there really isn't. And so it's the same common precautions you would take with anything. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, yeah. you know, stay home when you're sick, the, the usual stuff. Um, how was I as a patient? Like amazing, <laughs> uh, amazing to uh, see somebody who would do the research on their own 
and ask really smart questions, but then ultimately not be persuaded by something that they read on Google that uh, that I disagreed with and willing to sort of take my second guessing of myself and t- like talk through the different treatment options in a really thoughtful, nuanced way. And so like a pleasure to work with. I, I, I hope that everybody has the opportunity to have a doctor like um, Dr. Katz, who asked me in the lowest of my low moments, um, said to me, how scared are you? And then said to me, put all your nerves in a box because we're going to, we're on this for you and we're taking care of it. And that allowed me to finish Netflix. And I told him that today when he came on television, I said, how scared are you? Put it all in a box. I'll take care of you on set. Thank you, Dr. Katz. Appreciate it so much for all the care that you've given me and will continue to give me over the next couple of months. I'm just really glad you're feeling good enough to be on the show. Thanks. I'll get a checkup after I get out of here. (laughs) Um, So what do I take away from all of this, right? My life lessons. Um, Take nothing for granted. You may be doing everything in life right, as I felt like I was, and a cold the virus can become so much more through no fault of your own. The best advocate you have in your life is yourself, as Dr. Katz just said, listen to your body. The only person, look at all these amazing pictures of me in the hospital. Wow. Um, the only person who knows how you feel or what you are feeling or when you need help is you. Do not let the expectations of your family or your work ever get in your way. They're all going to be waiting there for you and would rather wait for you to come back then never come back at all. Listen to your body, make good choices. Don't let experiences that change you or challenge you fall by the wayside and resume life as is. Let it be a teaching moment for what you want your life to be and recognizing your boundaries and value because your health and your family and your friends are number one and be good to yourself. Thank you guys all for your supportive messages I've received over the last month. And I'm so happy to be back in this chair. That wraps it up for me. I'm Yasmin Vesugian. Simone picks things up next after a very quick break. That is a level, again, of cognitive dissonance that you cannot make up. You cannot manufacture that. That's 100% real. That person is lost. The doctor is lost. And again, the irony is that she has no problem, this Yasmin gal has no problem making fun of her urgent care doctor who said that it was just acid reflux. She has no problem knocking him. Of course, joke's on her. She should be making fun of the other doctor for saying that a common cold can cause permanent heart damage, which of course will be the cause of her death in the years to come. She has a 50% chance of living in five years. A coin toss. And then, of course, after that, those percentages get worse when it comes to her chances of living. It's not, it's irreversible. You've heard me say it a million times. I said it on Kate Daly's show. I'll keep saying it. Myocarditis is not mild. There's no such thing as mild myocarditis. It doesn't exist. There's no repairing it. There's only slightly treating it so that it doesn't make you feel terrible all of the time, and that's it. It will ultimately lead to heart failure, if not more heart attacks in the future. That's her future going forward. There's nothing that can stop that now. But again, this is where they're, this is, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, something else has to be going on here. Why on earth would you allow her to go on television? to gaslight people like that. If they actually themselves, again, one of two things, they were doing it in the, in, in the interest of waking up more people and having it become 
an unavoidable question that they ask one another and an unavoidable conclusion that they arrive, which is it's jab-related. That's, that's the first avenue of thought. The second is, are they so full of hubris and so lost mentally, emotionally, physically, and socially from the actual reality that we live in that she actually believes what her doctor is saying that the doctor himself, Dr. Katz, actually believes what he is saying, and that the people listening to it actually believe what she is saying. It is, again, are they so far gone that that's actually their position? They sit around in a boardroom and go, well, she's been gone a long time, and she's a host that really no one's ever heard of. She's not a major host in the limelight, like a Brett Bayer or somebody like that. So we're going to have her come out and say this and not mention the shots at all because clearly the doctor doesn't think that that's part of it and blah, blah, blah. It's one of the two, but something else is going on here. It has to be the case. I have no doubt their capacity to gaslight. I'm not discrediting that at all. But why are they continuously having them come out and say things like this on air. And this is going to get worse. We're going to see more of that. And it's not going to be jab admissions. That's not what it'll be. But why wouldn't they just keep these people off to the side for a little bit longer, or at the very least, just have them come back with no explanation? Well, I took a much-needed vacation, and that's why I was, you know, that's why I was there, and that's what I was doing, and, and yada, yada, yada. I mean, why don't they just do that? But see, they even had this gal taking Instagram pictures of herself in the hospital. Oh, look, there's me in the hospital. There's another picture of me in the hospital. And they're putting that up on social media. But they're not thinking to themselves, wait a minute. Don't take pictures of yourself in the hospital. People don't need to know why you're there. If it is jab-related, we don't want to tell people that. Again, they're you know for <laughs> for for trying to gaslight people and for and for uh, engaging in in all of these these crimes re- regarding these fake stories that these jabs aren't killing people. They're really doing a very bad job of hiding it, aren't they? I mean, they're doing a terrible job. They're taking pictures of themselves in the hospital on beds, hooked up to machines. That's all getting out there. We're all seeing it, and we're all supposed to say what? This is just randomly happening since the end of 2020? This is just randomly happening super big time during uh, 2021, 2022, and even now, and it's just going to get worse? I mean, they even referenced the years where the shot took place and the doctor had the balls. Or the, or the sheer stupidity to say, no one knows. No one. No one knows why this happened. Helen Keller knows why this happened. Everybody knows why this happened. She's jabbed. Period. End of story. It's the shots. There's endless literature. There's endless proof. Who believes this? What person believes this? I'm telling you, the mentally and emotionally detached are not going to make it. That alone is not a survivable skill. 
jab aside for a minute, that alone is not a survivable skill. You've heard me mention the quote before. I'm going to butcher it because I should have it memorized by now, but I don't. Frederick Nietzsche, he said the same thing. If you don't shed your skin, you'll die. If you don't learn to shed your opinions, you cease to be man. You cease being a human. This is an individual who has opinions and is running their entire existence on opinions, not a survivable characteristic. That person will be dead between now and five years from now. They'd be lucky to make it nine years. End of story. That's the way it goes. Unbelievable. Save that audio somewhere. I'm telling you, that right there is just, it's gold. It's absolute cognitive dissonance gold. Okay, I meant to mention this earlier. My apologies, but I'm going to mention it now because, again, we're still talking about the cognitive dissonance, so it, it certainly fits. Dr. Robin McCutcheon emailed me. Uh, they had a student death at Marshall University. Frankly, I'm shocked that this is the first one that's apparently been reported. You'd think there'd be more by this stage of the game. At least that's my opinion. But let me read this first. I'll read the news, uh, the news outlet article, and then she emailed me the response from the president of the university. I asked her for permission to read all of this. She said permission granted. So here was her email. She said, hey, Sean, we got our first died suddenly, quote unquote, in the student population on campus. The university, of course, is being cautious. Below is the email we got from the university president, and then she linked the uh, news station's take on the situation. A couple of quotes from it, that the student died mysteriously of medical issues, quote-unquote, so it's not a died suddenly, it's now died mysteriously, she says. She says, we knew that this would come eventually. God help the university if the parents decide to go after them, kind regards. Okay. Here is the news outlet, WSAZ News Channel 3, student found deceased on college campus. They're not releasing the name of the person either. Uh, Huntington, West Virginia, Marshall University student was found deceased Sunday morning. The student was found deceased from presumed medical issues early Sunday morning in one of the campus residence halls, said a spokesperson for, uh, for Marshall University. According to Marshall University Police Department, no foul play or substance use was suspected. A student's identity is not being released until the family is notified. That's it. That's the, <laughs> that's the extent of, of the news outlet's take on the situation. Here's the letter from Brad D. Smith, the president of Marshall University. He said, quote, Dear Marshall University community, I'm deeply saddened to share with you that one of our students passed away early Sunday morning from presumed medical issues while in the residence hall room. No foul play or substance use was suspected or is suspected, according to the Marshall University Police Department. At this time, we are not able to release the student's name pending notification of their family and friends. I wanted to communicate with you quickly and consequently uh, do not have all the details. Once more information is available 
and if permitted by the student's family, I will share it with you. When things like this happen, we may experience a range of emotions and reactions, shock, sadness, fear, and even anger. These reactions may ebb and flow in the coming days and are normal in processing such tragedy and loss. If you or someone you know would like to speak with a counselor, our support team stands ready to assist through the Marshall University Counseling Center website attached. Phone number also. It says additionally counselors will be available today, Sunday through 8 p.m. in the lobby of Willis Hall and the Campus Christian Center. Please join me in expressing our collective sympathies to our students' family and to those on campus who knew them. Sincerely, Brad D. Smith, President Marshall University. Unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, cognitive dissonance again included in this. How many of these kinds of letters is it going to take for a university president to figure out what's going on? Because this isn't going to be the only one they release. There will be more. Not just for students, but for staff members also. This is happening everywhere, across the entire world, in numerous institutions of an education-related subject. They pushed these shots to no end. Dr. Robin McCutcheon, of course, is a friend of mine and been on this show numerous times. She's warned copious amounts of employees there, including the president himself. Now the president has to write this. You would think that they would drop all jab mandates effective immediately. Say no more mask wearing. We don't recommend it. You'd think they'd be backtracking right now. Just because. Just to make it look as if they're on the right side of things, even for a little while. But how many more letters is this Brad Smith going to have to release before he figures it out? He should already be figuring it out right now. And his ass is going to be in a sling when this all thing, when, when this entire thing is said and done. The parents should go after the entire university, 100%. Robbins warned them. Robin told me she has a copy of the Nuremberg Code taped to her office door. These people can't escape this. It's inescapable. It's going to continue to happen. It's going to be unavoidable. There's nothing that they can do to stop this. Nothing. Even if they take down their COVID measures, even if they take down, again, their mask-wearing signs and all the stickers on the floor and the distancing bullshit and all of that, if they take all of it away, it's not going to erase what they've done. We have memories. We know what you've done. You've wiped out your entire line of work because you've, you've, you've wiped out the people who work there and then the customers who show up to receive your product. This is happening on every college and university campus that mandated these shots. Even if they didn't mandate them, you still have staff members who took them. You still have students who took them. There's no avoiding it. It's incredible. But how many more of those letters are going to have to go out to where even, again, staff members and students start to go, wait a minute, why all of the sudden, quote unquote, suddenly, are we getting all of these university letters that are saying that someone on campus has died? 
How many more is it going to take? Absolutely nuts. She also told me, Robin did, that uh, as she said on Dr. Dave Janda's show last Sunday when she was on, she said that some students of hers in her last semester courses were telling her that their family doctors that they once had are now leaving the profession completely. And they're not old individuals, they're just leaving, partially because of the amount of money that they've made from jabbing everybody and the kickbacks that everybody got as a result of jabbing. And then, because of course, they have enough money to not only leave, but they want to avoid any spotlight that might, uh, might shine on them as a result of the revelations that are continuing to come out regarding all of this. And again, this isn't new. This is as old as 2020. We knew that this was coming. We knew that this was going to happen. A lot of us had this figured out from the, from the word go. As soon as the green light flashed and, and, the, and the green light waved down, we knew it was go time on this entire plan. Which again, dating back to the, uh, you know, to, to mention again the kill box thing, this has always been the plan. Our military and our government have been weaponized against us, including all of these institutions, in an effort to destroy all of it. Because as you've heard me say, you know, there's that constant reference point or argument or discussion where people will say, well, wait a minute, Sean, they would never do that. They would never destroy their own line of work. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. That's the depths to which evil can actually go to where they can destroy their own evil institutions because they want all of it gone. Well, what are they going to replace it with? They have to replace it with something. They certainly do. But the globalists believe that replacing their university system with a singular university system or a, a larger one-world government is the answer. It's not. They're losing. They're losing. This is the failure, too, of the devil in my humble opinion. I'm not a biblical scholar, never will be, never will claim to be, but this is the, this is the fault of the devil. The devil swings for home runs all of the time, not recognizing that they're striking out constantly. Yes, they occasionally get a massive hit. There's no doubt about that. But they always strike out. The globalists have struck out. Yes, unfortunately, they're killing copious amounts of people, and these institutions are going to cease to exist. But if they believe that they're going to replace it with something that's going to be even more globalist and more totalitarian, they're dead wrong. I think they're dead wrong. Because that would imply that God is just sitting on the sidelines, not doing anything, that he's just hanging out in the dugout, not allowing anything to take place. Please. God knows exactly what's going on. He's in complete control. Two more things here. And again, this is another eye-opening experience where people should say to themselves, gee, wow, that seems strange. This is from abc7.com. CVS and Walmart cut pharmacy hours, close some locations earlier, citing pharmacist shortage. Why would that be the case? Why would they have a pharmacy shortage, or a pharmacist shortage, rather? And is that an excuse? Is it just the pharmacists that are not showing up to work because of, oh, I don't know, they're jabbed? 
they're sick, they're dying, or is it all the other workers around the pharmacist who are also sick, jabbed, and dying? It's nuts. It can't get more obvious. It says in March, both retailers will either cut or shift the hours that their pharmacies operate in response to staffing shortages. I would expect grocery stores like Kroger's and Publix to do the exact same thing. They'd have to. They have pharmacies too, don't they? I'm pretty sure Publix has a pharmacy, uh, if memory serves. I used to shop there, but I know Kroger's does. They're pushing these jabs constantly. I'm shocked they're still alive. Some of them probably aren't. Some of them have probably, uh, you know, disappeared. And they've just tried to replace them as much as they can. But they're crushing their own line of work. It says here, quote, an apparent shortage of pharmacists is forcing CVS and Walmart to reduce their hours of its pharmacies as they close earlier in thousands of locations. Beginning in March, both retailers will either cut or shift the hours that their pharmacies operate in response to staffing shortages and warning customers' demands, and I'm sorry, waning customer demands, uh, as the height of the COVID-19 pandemic recedes. That's funny. They're saying it's receding, and yet the World Health Organization is saying that it's still ramped up and, and still in fifth gear. The whole thing is a flippin' lie. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Since the Wall Street Journal first reported the news, Walmart, which has pharmacies in most of its 4,600 U.S. locations, will close them two hours earlier at 7 p.m. CVS will shift or cut hours at about 6,000 U.S. pharmacies. For CVS, adjusting its hours is an attempt to ensure its, quote, pharmacy teams are available to serve patients when they're most needed, unquote. The company said in a statement to CNN, the changes are part of its regular course of business, quote-unquote, it added, so its hours meet customers' demands. That's funny. The demand is going to go up, but what you're going to be selling them is going down because you don't have the people around anymore. It says in a statement to CNN, Walmart and New Hours, said the new hours, rather, are the result of direct feedback from its pharmacy employees and customers. I believe that. I believe it. It says, Walmart has a strong and incredible pharmacy team, and we are making this change to not only enhance their work-life balance, but also maintain the best level of service for our customers, a Walmart spokesperson said. By positioning our teams in the hours where our customers say they want to visit our pharmacy, we are better able to deliver excellent customer service. Nonsense. Nonsense. You're having staff shortages because you're all jabbed and you're sick and you're dying. End of story. There's no other explanation. Maybe you did a poll and maybe those employees said we want to work less hours and we don't want them to be as late. Maybe that happened. Doesn't matter. The, the real reason is you're jabbed, you're sick, and you're dying. And that's going to continue to be the excuse across the board. Take K-12 education, for example. I bet there's going to be more talk in the future of a four-day work week across the entire nation. I wouldn't be surprised if that occurred across the entire nation in numerous public school districts 
in particular in urban areas where we know more people are potentially jammed? Well, we're doing it because we took a survey and, you know, teachers agreed that uh, the times have been tough and they can accomplish as much learning in four days that they could in five. And this is something that we've thought about for quite some time and blah, 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 blah. And all their spokespeople are going to come out and say the same things over and over and over again. Cognitive dissonance, justification, rationalization, and hubris. These are not skills. These are not survivable skills. I'm going to end with this. One more anonymous post here. It's lengthy from greatawakening.win. It is titled, It's Happening, My Cousin is Slowly Red-Pilling Herself. This is an interesting one. Again, these waking up stories are interesting, whether they're jabbed or not. That, of course, takes it into another direction, but give this a listen. It says, quote, Background. Was a Bernie progressive in 16, just like I was. Instead of going, quote, Bernie or bust like I did, she held her nose and voted for Hillary, quote unquote, and really hated doing it. Still watches cable television, uh, watched Maddow every day for years, likes being trendy, so she's into body positive Stephen Colbert, gender affirmation, and the current thing. Once went over to visit and my cousin had a copy of the Mueller report and a handful of highlighters on her coffee table. At some point, got disgusted with Rachel Maddow and announced she was done with the news. I believe that was shortly after Bernie got cheated a second time, but I can't remember. She won't talk about her votes in the 20 election, so I don't even know if she voted for uh, Biden or not. But somewhere in that time period, she announced she was done with politics and was going to start just focusing on gardening and reading. Even up to just a few months ago, someone mentioned Melania and she blurted out, I hate her face, quote unquote. I thought that was kind of interesting, a kind of an interesting thing for a body positive person to say, but I let it go because she seemed sudden and forceful in the declaration. It says she would brook no opposition to that. Either uh, It says her Trump derangement syndrome is still in effect. It says, well, last night I talked with her and she went off on this verbal rant about how she can't stand working with younger millennials and Zoomers. I guess what set her off was that she went, or I'm sorry, that she sent a memo with a thumbs up emoji on it. And one of her co-workers schooled her about how the thumbs-up emoji was no longer acceptable socially for some reason. <laughs> this is very funny. Re. Okay. It then says, she said she went and looked it up on the internet, quote-unquote, and discovered that basically every emoji that wasn't created by wokesters is somehow problematic. She said this younger guy she worked with said something so incredibly stupid that one day she called him Junior, quote-unquote, in conversation. It just slipped out. And he shot back with, quote, are you age-checking me right now, unquote. Then she went off about how younger people don't read books and don't see why they should 
and how they're practically illiterate. She bitched about how Zoomers will misuse words until they have no meaning left. How younger people don't know that there is a difference between misogyny and sexism and abuse both terms. How kids aren't taught any respect for their elders at all. And basically how they're entitled whiners. The funny thing is, I didn't have to say or do anything. She just naturally read, she's just naturally red-pilling herself because her normie brain has reached its max capacity of woke programming. I bet it really shocked her woke ass to be called out as problematic for using a thumbs-up emoji. She's not red-pilled yet, but it has begun, unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, in conclusion, I'll say this. I think that the red pilling is going to continue to take place. It's clearly happening on multiple timelines. We were chosen, without a doubt, with the skill set that we have, the minds that we have, the way that we were raised, the people who raised us. We were chosen earlier to wake up when we did. And thank God for it. To be honest, thank God for it. No doubt about it. But the people waking up now, they're going to experience the same things that we experience, the same mind frame, questioning you know, numerous different things, maybe even having the occasional breakdown. The difference, of course, is, is now the jab is in play. And when the people start really waking up to what they've done to themselves and what the people around them have done to themselves... That's, that's, another, that's another level of being forced to wake up. We've seen those videos. I've played a lot of that audio on the show. We've heard it all over the place. Again, the, the media host on MSNBC from earlier, and that audio, she's not awake. She's not awake yet. She's stuck that away. She's, she's taken her permanent heart damage, stuck it away, and she's chalking it up to a cold and that it was a quote-unquote cold virus because her doctor told her so. That's going to be a nail in the coffin for copious amounts of people. That's a level of waking up that is, it's, it's just on a separate wavelength, in a far more serious wavelength, when they come to grips with what they've actually done to themselves. So with all of that said, ladies and gentlemen, stick around for Friday. I'll catch you then. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.